morning, church. It's good to see you all again. We've missed you. It's we, Kathy and I, we always enjoy being here. It's a great community to worship with and to fellowship with. And I'm just excited to bring God's word uh, to you this morning. In 1943, a psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow theorized uh, this theory called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Have we heard about that? Awesome. And what that basically means is that every human being has uh, a motivation to live by a certain set of uh, needs. Okay? The lowermost need, at the most basic human need, is a need for security and shelter and food. And above that are your needs for uh, your psychological needs, and then at the very end, your needs for self-fulfillment. So it argues that our basic human instinct is to find security, is to look for security. And because we live in a world that's broken and that's sinful, there are always a lot of agents and forces that are constantly attacking our need for security. Which is why when we get a tornado alert on our phones, we are immediately taking a whole bunch of precautions to make sure that we can be safe, right? We want to be secure in a storm. Or when we purchase a house, we want to make sure that there's, we invest in some sort of security mechanism. We either have cameras or we have an alarm system or we, we may have watchdogs or since we're in Texas, we probably have a firearm or two or a whole bunch of combination of these things because we want to be safe. It is our natural human instinct to seek security. And most of us, from the time we start working, hopefully, we start putting some money away to save it for our retirement so that when we retire, we have some money to live off of. Right? That gives us a sense of security. Now, speaking of money, I want to try something. I want all of us wherever you are, to pull out your smartphones. If you're watching online, go ahead and take your smartphone out. And I want you to open your bank app, if you have one, or if you use mobile banking online. Go ahead and open up your bank app. And again, this is just for you and your eyes. It's not for your neighbor. Go ahead and open up your banking application. I'll just give you a minute to do that. and navigate to where you have your, your savings, and look at that number. Just between you and the phone, it's not for your neighbor. Go ahead and take a look at the number you see before you. When you look at that number there, how does that make you feel? Does that give you security? You see, some of us we may really like the number that we see there. And praise God, that's God's abundant blessing and provision in your life. But does it give you security? And some of us, we may not like the number that we see there. It may cause us to worry, and we may have a lot of stress because of what we see. Do you think, do you sometimes wish that if you had more, that that would give you security.
You see, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, you and I, everybody in this room, we have this need to seek security, and we are constantly seeking security. We have a need for it. But have you wondered what God has to say about our need for security? And that's something we're going to look at today, where we see two people in the Bible who looked at that number in their bank account, and they felt the same feelings that we feel today. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, we will look, we look at this in two ways. We will look at first what Jesus has to say about our need for security, the, the problem that we have in our search for security, and then we look at the solution that Jesus gives in our need for security. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus was teaching in Bethany publicly when somebody looked at that number in their bank account and they felt insecure and they blurted out to Jesus. And this is what they said. Join me in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. So it says, someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now here, basically, we have two brothers. Now, we don't know if they are both in the audience. It's highly likely that both of them are in the audience at this time. And one brother, possibly the younger brother, he points to the older brother, uh, the other one in the scene, and he says, he tells on him to Jesus. Now, the cultural norm at that time was for the elder brother to uh, split the inheritance with the rest of the family. Being the elder brother, obviously, he would get the lion's share of the inheritance, and the rest is what he would share uh, to the other brothers. And it was also a common practice for rabbis at that time to go around uh, teaching and also work as arbitrators to, to resolve these inheritance issues. So the, questions, the question he asks Jesus is a normal question. It's a very natural question for somebody to ask a rabbi. But now Luke, he does not tell us the full, he doesn't give the full details of what's going on. He doesn't tell us why the brother doesn't want to share the inheritance with him. So it's possible that the elder brother, he looks, he's looked at the number in his bank account, and he realizes that if he splits that in half and shares it with his brothers, that's not going to give him the security that he needs. So he holds it to himself, and he doesn't believe that he, wants, he, that he should share it with other people. That could be one scenario where the elder brother is holding on to his goods and the younger brother is being treated unfairly. Or the other scenario is the younger brother, he looks at the number in his bank account and he's worried and he looks at what his brother has. He sees that he doesn't have that and he wants what he doesn't have. In either way, in both these cases, we see the insecurity. We see insecurity manifesting in greed and covetousness. And you know what? You and I, we are not immune to that today. In our lives, insecurities manifest in greed and covetousness. Just think about what happened in uh, the pandemic when we were going into lockdown. Most of us were piling up on toilet paper and a whole bunch of essentials, and there were a lot of people who were going home empty-handed. You see, when our sense of security is threatened, our insecurity manifests in greed 
and covetousness. And you'd think that Jesus is the best person to sort out family issues, right? Look at what Jesus has to say instead in verse 14. But he said to him, friend, or you may have man, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, what Jesus is saying is that he's not just your regular rabbi. He's different. He's set apart. Jesus is here on kingdom business. And so now Jesus turns his attention from the two brothers and he speaks to the entire congregation. He's broadening the scope of his teaching. Leave it to Jesus to turn any matter into a teaching moment, right? Now he turns to the crowd, which includes the brothers possibly, and this is what he says. In verse 15, he says, He said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Let's stop there for a minute. There are a couple of things for us to notice. Jesus says, Take care. Be on your guard. Watch out. Guard yourself. Jesus is giving two commands, two imperatives that he's stacking one on top of the other. And what he's doing when he does this is he's elevating the importance and the urgency of this command. He's commanding us to take care, be on your guard. And the reason he says this, if you continue in the verse, is to be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He, in saying all kinds of greed, he's including both the brothers. He's including the greed of one man who has a lot and does not want to share. And he's including the greed of the one man who doesn't have enough, looks at what he doesn't have, and wants that for himself. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And the reason he says that if you continue, is because for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Friends, this is the problem that Jesus highlights in our search for security. That seeking possessions does not provide security. Seeking possessions does not provide security. Now, you and I, we both know this. We've heard this several times in church that life is more than money, life is more than possessions. But if we're honest, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? You see, even, even as I was preparing for the sermon, as I was reading about life is not about possessions, a few minutes later I found myself, when I was scrolling on Instagram, looking at this other guitarist and his gear and equipment and like, man, I want that. It was just five minutes, I just read this passage, and that's what happens. You don't realize when greed and covetousness creeps up on us. It creeps up on us when we least expect it. We get ambushed by greed and covetousness. And the only reason anybody gets ambushed is when they're not alert, which is exactly why Jesus commands us twice be on your guard and watch out. You see, any, any soldier in, in the army knows what that command means. When he's in enemy ground, he knows that he has to be alert and keep his guard up so that he doesn't get ambushed by the enemy. You and I know 
when and how to keep our guard up. If, you, if we were walking in a lonely street in a shady part of town in the middle of the night, you and I both know that we should have our guard up, right? We don't want to be jumped by somebody and get mugged. But we don't apply that to the area of greed and covetousness. We don't apply that when in our search for security. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. As a musician, I have a problem. I've got gas. It is gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> I, if I'm not careful when I'm uh, looking on Instagram or YouTube, before I know it, I'm. Kathy would tell me the number of times I've told, would tell you the number of times I've told her, I need this new guitar. I need it. <laughs> it's not that I want it, I need it. If I'm not careful, I start to believe that I need a lot of these things. I can look at the gear that I have and look at what someone has on the internet and feel like I need to have that. It creeps up on me. If I'm not careful, I get ambushed by greed and covetousness. And that's true for each one of us here today. And the re one of the reasons that Jesus commands us to be careful is if we're not, we start to build our lives and our identities around our possessions. We get tied to brand names. We, uh, if we're not careful, we will look at that number in our bank account and we constantly want it to keep increasing so that we can use that to buy things that would satisfy our needs for security. And we may even start to believe or convince ourselves, like how I've convinced myself, that we need this. We need this new AirPod that's going to come out every six months. We need this new computer. We need this new bag. We need this fill-in-the-blank, whatever makes sense for you. And we also don't want to miss out on what's happening in our culture. And our culture feeds that fear that you need to have these things so that you can fit in. You need to have such and such. You need to have a certain standard of living so that you can fit in with society. We fear that we'll miss out if we don't possess things. But Jesus reminds us today that seeking possessions does not provide security. And he does that by illustrating a parable in verse 16. John me in verse 16. Then he told them the parable, the congregation. He, told, he tells them, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. Now notice, it is the land that produces abundantly. Of course, the rich man may have invested in tilling the land and working the land, but ultimately, it is the God of the land that provides abundance. It is the God who provides the miracle of growth in life. And verse 17, and he thought to himself, hmm, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops, which is a logical question. There's nothing wrong in that. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Again, I think that's a logical question. If you have an abundance of supply, what do you do with it? Any farmer here would know that if he has a great harvest, he needs to store it somewhere. And if you don't have a barn big enough, then you build a barn that's big enough. But here's where we start to see this man's search for security manifest in greed. Verse 
Watch with me in verse 19. Look at what he says. And I will say to my soul, or myself, or my life, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that the dream? To have a whole bunch of money, have enough to retire early, live off of your investments, travel the world, have good food. That sounds good to me. See, this man, he seems to think that being in abundance is, is what you need for security in life. And he see, this guy is looking at the number in his bank account, and he really likes what he sees. He feels secure. And there are times where you and I, we would have looked at that number in our bank account and felt secure as well. But now Jesus brings things into perspective. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Remember, it was God who brought abundance. It is God who provided and made him rich. And the, the expectation in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is if you have a lot, your expectation is to give. It's to be outward focused, not to be inward focused, not to gather up treasures for yourself. If you are in abundance, you're, ex you're expected to give and share with people. And Jesus here is pointing holes at this idea of security that comes in riches. Do we really own what we own? You see, we get this sense of, of comfort and pride and security when we own possessions. For example, if we own a couple of houses and a lake house, we have this sense of security. And it's, a, it's not a bad thing. Owning possessions is not a bad thing. It's God's abundance. God has provided this for us in his grace. But God is challenging where we get our sense of security from. Do we get our sense of security purely by owning things? And here the rich man, he is reassuring his soul, his very core being, that he is secure. But the irony here is God is able to take that very core. God is able to demand your soul. Friends, it's purely by God's grace and patience and long-suffering and endurance that he does not demand our life right now. We are dust. We are here today and gone tomorrow. If we think, if we start to think that we are in control because we own things, God is challenging us that we are not really in control of what we have. It is God who is in control. Look at verse 21. So it is with those, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Jesus sums up the parable by saying that this is how it is for the greedy who think they have security by possessions 
who think that they can overcome volatility by having solid possessions. Jesus reminds us that our lives are volatile, that God is in control. Seeking possessions does not provide security. Now, I want to turn the corner here and talk about some of us who, there are some of us here today who are genuinely being rich toward God. We are doing our best to be rich toward God. We, we are not storing treasures for ourselves. What about those of us who, whose insecurity is not manifesting in greed or covetousness, but is manifesting in worry? What about some of us who don't even have the means or the methods to store up treasures for ourselves? What about some of us who look at that number in our bank account and we're just genuinely worried? And Jesus gives a solution for us. He says, seeking the kingdom provides security. Seeking the kingdom provides security. In verse 22, Jesus now, he turns away from the crowd and he looks to his disciples, his faithful few. And this is what he says. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? The most basic need is our need for security. And a level that's even below that, our very most basic need, is our need for food and our need for clothing. You see, there's no point talking to someone about their need for self-fulfillment if they don't have food or clothes. It's only when you meet that basic need of food and clothing are they able to progress. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing. He's talking about our most basic need. And he does this by giving us two object lessons. The first object lesson is in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. These ravens, they're not working a nine to five. They neither have storehouse nor barns. They don't have a savings account. They don't have a retirement fund. They don't have a place to store their food. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? You see, you and I, we sow, we reap, we work, we have houses, we have a savings account. But ironically, we worry more than those who are actually entitled to worry. It's the birds who have every right to worry. They have no idea where they're going to get their food from. They don't have a reserve for the storm that's going to come next week. But yet God feeds them. And if we are way more valuable than that, how much more will God feed us? And the next section talks about the power of God. In verse 25, Jesus asks, And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. If then you are not able to do a small thing as this, why do you worry about the rest? 
You see, God is able and mighty to provide security when there is none. It, imagine when you don't have any food in your pantry and in your refrigerator, and you're extremely hungry. God says he's able to provide exactly what you need. And Jesus is flexing a little bit. Here he says, you and I, we cannot add a single moment or hour to our life. But God is able to do that. What is impossible for man is not only possible for God, it's absolutely insignificantly simple for him, is what he's saying. That is the God who promises to take care of us. A God who is powerful, a God who is able, a sure and steady anchor in our times of doubt. But you know, when God asks, why do you worry? I would say, I don't know. I mean, I know all of this, but I don't know why I worry. There are times when I'm fine, but there are random days, times of the day where worry just creeps up. And God, he knows that. And he, in the next few verses, he slowly peels open the curtain to help us understand why it's hard for us to trust him. He does this in his second object lesson. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't, they're not making their own clothes. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. You see, if there's anybody on earth who can claim that they had it all and they did it all, it was King Solomon. And God says, even Solomon is not clothed as gloriously as these flowers that I clothe. Look at what it says in verse 28. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, something that is so volatile, how much more will he clothe you? Let's stop there for a second. How much more will he clothe you? Jesus is arguing here from the least to the greatest. If he can take care of the least of these, he can take care of you. Now, if we're honest, you and I, we may say, God, Jesus, that sounds amazing. Amen. I believe that. That sounds great. But who's going to take care of my mortgage? Who's going to pay for my student debt? Who's going to pay for my medical bills? You see, just knowing does not help us at times. And now Jesus finally pulls back the curtain to reveal the true reason why we worry. Let's look at verse 28 again. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you you of little faith. You of little faith in what? In God. Jesus, he seems to suggest here that there is a relationship between our worrying and our faith. You see, sometimes... We worry when we don't have an appropriate or a right understanding of who our God is. All this while, Jesus has been showing 
that we have a powerful God. He is the God who is able to bring forth abundance. He is the God who is able to make people rich. He is the God who is able to increase or decrease your lifespan if he so chooses. He is the God who clothes the millions of flowers in the world. He is the God who feeds millions of birds when they don't know where to get their food from. He's talking about Jesus is giving us this this elevated idea of who our God is that we may not completely understand. And that's probably why we may worry. While we think we are not able to take care of ourselves, Jesus is promising that God is able to take care of all of our needs because he is a strong and a powerful God. And look at what he says in verse 29 and 30. And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. Do not keep striving and do not keep worrying. What Jesus is saying is that it's not that we shouldn't worry, but do not keep worrying. Do not make a practice do not make worrying a habitual practice in our life. See, we will have worries from time to time, but he, as he gave us two commands earlier, here Jesus gives us two commands again. Do not keep striving for what you are to eat, and do not keep worrying. Again, the, because he's giving two commands together, he's elevating the importance and the urgency of this command. Now, You and I, we all have certain worries that continue to haunt us, right? What are some of these worries that haunt you at random parts of the day, that just wake you up at night and keep you awake? What are these worries that have caused you to create a habit out of worrying? Is it your child's future? Is it your job in this shaky job market? Is it your medical bills? Is it your dwindling savings? Is it your worry about raising finances for your ministry and your missions organizations? Is it not knowing what the next step in your career is going to be? See, worry is not a bad thing. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. See, worry is a good thing. Worry can motivate us to throw ourselves at the feet of God. That is the right response to worry. Making a habit out of worrying is the wrong response. And Jesus commands us to not make a habit out of worrying. And if these two commands are not enough, look at what Jesus says in verse 30. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all of these things. It is the nations of the world that strive after all of these things. What Jesus is saying is it's those who don't have faith in God who make a habit out of worrying. It's those who identify with the world who make a habit out of worrying. So if we, if you and I, 
have made a habit out of worrying, Jesus says we are as those who don't have faith in God. Ouch, that's a hard pill to swallow. That we are not living in our identity in Christ if we make a habit out of worrying. But you know what the good news is? See what it says in the end of verse 30. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all of these things, but your Father knows that you need them. Your Father knows that you need them. You see, in the previous few chapters, Jesus, uh, God is presented as a good Father, a Father who provides good gifts for his children. If a child asks for a fish, the father does not give them a snake. If a child asks for food, the father does not give them a scorpion. Fathers here on earth don't, wouldn't do that. And if us earthly sinful fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will our heavenly father give us exactly what we need? And God has given us the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, to live and abide in us and draw us closer to Christ-likeness. He's given us the counselor when we worry. Isn't it amazing when those close to you know exactly what you need? Kathy knows exactly what I need when I'm overwhelmed by stress. And that comforts me. That gives me a sense of security. Or when your doctor knows exactly what treatment to do to heal you of that pain, that gives us comfort. That gives us security. Or when a mechanic knows exactly what to do to fix that problem in your car, that gives us safety. That gives us a sense of comfort. And that is the comfort that the Father promises us. You see, when Kathy and I, when we moved uh, to Dallas for seminary, we came here with a little money and four suitcases, and we moved into an apartment which we were not supposed to get. That was by God's provision. And we had no furniture. I remember the first day, she, Kathy was so tired, she was sleeping on the floor with just a head on the suitcase. We had nothing. But then in a couple of days, our entire house was furnished. We had couches, we had a dining table, we had a bed, we had study tables. It was completely furnished and we did not spend a single penny. It was provided completely by generous people like you and I. And God knows exactly what he needs. There were times when there would be random envelopes outside our door with some money in it. There were times where we would hear about a need that one of our friends had, and there would be money in this envelope that we could give to them. God knows exactly what you need. Friends, when you look at that number in your bank account, in your banking app, be comforted to know that God knows exactly what you need because he is a good God. When our, when our security or insecurity manifests in worrying, can we as a church commit to just confessing our need to God? Commit to confessing that we need more faith. And in verse 31 and 32, <coughs> Jesus gives us a solution again for our quest for security. 31, he says, 
Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. Jesus is speaking as a shepherd to his flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus reminds us that seeking the kingdom provides security. And if there's one thing I want you to take away today, it's this. Seeking the kingdom provides security. And Jesus says that God will help you, and he doesn't help you. It pleases the Father to help you. It pleases the Father to give us the kingdom. So what does the kingdom mean? What does it mean to seek the kingdom? Seeking the kingdom is, is living on kingdom business, to, ha- to have a kingdom agenda, to work on a kingdom mindset. It is to submit to the king. It is to serve the king. It is to be involved in the expanse of the, of the influence of the gospel on earth. And it is doing that in whatever way you can do. If it's in your workplace, if it's in your ministry, if it's in your school, living with a kingdom agenda is to live with a mindset of honoring and glorifying our king. And it's being aware of the needs of the people around us, the people in your community groups, the people in your neighborhoods, being aware of the needs of your colleagues and your classmates. And just as simple as praying for those needs. In verse 33, Jesus gives us an example of what living for the kingdom looks like. He says, Sell your possessions and give alms, that is, give to the poor. Make purses for yourself, for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. See, the idea of selling your possessions is to be generous. It's to not be tied towards an inward uh, holding of things, but to be outward in our outlook. And hey, if there's something that's in your house that you know you're not going to use, go ahead and sell it and give the money to someone in need. You can take it literally in certain instances. But there's something we need to notice here, and I think we often forget this, is Jesus is not giving this command just to those who have a lot of money. Jesus is giving us this command to be generous to all of us. Generosity is a requirement of every believer, regardless of what that amount looks like in your bank account. See, every withdrawal we make with a genuine, generous, joyful heart is a deposit into our eternal treasury. Church, can you and I, can we desire to set our hearts to invest in the kingdom of heaven? Can we do whatever it takes towards kingdom building? Can we live missionally? Can we seek the kingdom for the sake of our king? Can we take the time to commit to just learning how to share the gospel? It's okay if you don't know how to do that, but can we take the commitment to at least learn how to do that? Would we commit to just finding out what the needs of the people in our church are and the people right next to us? What are the needs of the people in our community? Who needs a a meal or two? Who needs a visit? Who needs that thing in your house that you know you'd never use, which would mean the world for someone else? There are, we just heard about there are so many missionaries in ABC. Can you as a church commit to just going for that lunch or whatever that is, where just to find out the needs 
of our brothers and sisters who are serving the kingdom, who are seeking the kingdom. Participating in providing for them is a great way of living with the kingdom agenda. There are several seminaries and Bible colleges in America who are providing for students like Kathy and me. Can you come alongside them and support the, the goal that they have? Can you just support the various mission organizations here in ABC? Can, you take, can we commit to living with a kingdom agenda? See, Jesus teaches us that seeking possessions does not provide security. When our, when our insecurity for possessions, when we seek possessions, our insecurity can manifest in greed and covetousness. And to that, God commands us to be watchful, to be alert. When you go back home today, when you're on your computer, when you're on your phone, when you're on Instagram, God commands us to be watchful and alert for covetousness and for greed. And when our insecurity manifests in just worrying, God commands us to not make it a habit out of worrying, but he commands us to make it a habit to strive for the kingdom, to seek the kingdom of God, to live with a kingdom mindset. Friends, the next time, whenever you open your bank application on your phone or on your computer, each time you look at that number, remember that seeking possessions does not provide security, but seeking the kingdom provides security. May that be a reminder every time you open that app. And I know it's hard. It's, it's not easy for us to break habits that we formed of worrying. It's not easy for us when our faith, when we struggle in our faith. And it's okay. Jesus invites us to confess that. I know we've uh, been going through a season of confession in this church. God invites us into his loving presence to just confess our need. So as the worship team comes up, let's enter into a time of confession. Let's, with every eyes closed and every head bowed, let's just confess our need to God. Because God is a sure and steady anchor for our soul. Confess the times when you have been greedy. Confess the areas where you find it hard to trust him and that you are constantly worried. Father God, we confess that we are weak, that our lives are volatile, and so is our faith. There are days when we trust you, and there are days where it's just so hard to trust that you will provide. And how comforting it is, God, to know that you know us, that you know our weaknesses, and that you promise to be the strength in our weakness. God, help us as a church to fix our eyes on you and not on our possessions. Help us to find security in seeking you. Give us the courage and the boldness to commit to living with the kingdom agenda. 
help us fix our eyes on Christ when when we when waves of doubt and storms of unbelief come help us to fix our eyes on Christ who's our sure and steady anchor Father we thank you and we love you in Jesus name we pray amen